0: Hello, and welcome to Pontifex. I'm Fry. And I'm Brie, ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. And this is episode 68 Pope Boniface III. Is his face pretty? His face could be pretty. It could be bony. It could be
1: anything, really. Any face.
0: Yes, it could be any face. We have to see when we get to that category. Which will not be in too terribly long.
1: We're starting off our first recording
0: of twenty twenty. It is. It we are actually finally recording in the year because everything else was done prior to that, and so we've made it though. We we survived New Year's and all of that fun stuff, and we're here to give you more popes in twenty twenty. With that in mind, let's jump into Bonyface the third because he was born in rome sometime around 570 but nearly every article source that i read on him has clearly reprinted the same line from wikipedia that just says he was from roman extraction what does it mean when you extract a roman first of all it's a stupid thing to say i just i i have questions it basically just Kind of is a roundabout way of maybe saying he wasn't born in Rome proper, but the area outside of the major city region. Cool, because it sounds like he
1: was IVF'd into somebody else's womb, and then they had to go with a SEAL team and orchestrate this huge heist to get him out. For the Romans. Yeah, for the Romans. Let's extract him for Roman extraction, yeah. Son
0: of a am b- in. And it's such a stupid thing to say, too, because as soon as you put that in your article, I know everything you've written is just copied from Wikipedia. Because that phrase is literally on, like, 12 articles that I read.
1: Wow, so they just, they're just they just calling themselves out with their Wikipedia plagiarism? Uh, straight up. Mm mmm, you calling them out here? <laughs> I guess I am. But it is a thing! I mean, Roman extraction, that is just a phrase that it's not
0: subtle when you put it in every single time. There's
1: so much happening.
0: It's a stupid phrase. (laughs) We're not even in it yet. His father's name was John Catadioce, which is the first time that we've actually seen a prominent last name associated with a father. However, the Liber Pontificalis has it differently and says he was the son of Catadioces John. This might be a situation in which we have a surname based on a profession or position, which would be fairly common. Or, just as you suggest, as historian Andrew J. Economu also posits in his book Byzantine Rome and the Greek Popes, a location-based name. You are on the right track. He breaks down the prefix kata as a derivation of the Greek word for through, and that the adioce is a Latinized reference to Antioch, and therefore at some point Boniface's family might have originally come from Antioch. So maybe that's what that means. He also suggests that in the mid-6th century, this was a huge time of heavy migration out of Antioch due to a Persian sack in 540 and a serious economic downturn in 550. There could be a lot of people coming from Antioch to Rome because things are not good there. He also posits that because the name John was extremely popular in the East, it's possible or even likely that he'd been in civil service somewhere in the East, So maybe this family had come to Italy in service of the Exarchate, and then that's how Boniface ended up to be of Roman extraction in 570. It's super tangential, but trust me, we have time for it, and it might kind of explain some of Boniface's trajectory when he joined the church, so it's something I wanted to include. It would also make him the first Eastern Pope, really, to sit on the papal throne when, more generally, it's accepted that the first Eastern Pope won't come for a while yet, 35 years from now, with Pope Theodore. So, the first mention that we have of Boniface in the church is when he's created a cardinal deacon by Pope Gregory on October 15th of 590.
1: Well, I'm glad Gregory did it and not... Sibylus, or whatever that other man's name is.
0: Well, funnily enough, does this date ring a bell to you? I'll say it again. October 15th of 590. I just said the same thing to you last week when we were talking about Sabinian because apparently both Sabinian and Boniface were made cardinals in the same holy ordination. Oh, look, we recorded that ages ago. I know, but it's last week for our listeners. Keep up the ruse, don't show behind the curtain.
1: (laughs) God damn it. Making me look like an idiot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If our dates are correct, Boniface would have been about 40 years younger than Sabinian at the time that he was ordained, which seems a little bit unlikely, but we do know that they were ordained to be cardinal deacons at the same time, And it's the young Boniface who seems to be the more shining star out of the pair. Because as we know, Sabinian goes to fumble and bumble in Constantinople, and Boniface gets to stay behind and make his mark on Gregory, as we see represented in a letter where Pope Gregory calls Boniface a man of tried faith and character. That's in Epistle 8.41. And so when Sabinian was recalled from Constantinople in 597 for failing to achieve the correct solutions to Gregory's ecumenical patriarch debate with the bishop and the emperor, Boniface gets sent out there to be the new apocrysary reaching Constantinople in 603. There was one other little apocrisary who was sent very short-lived between them. That's why there's such a big gap, but otherwise, Sabinian goes and fails, and so now Boniface has taken up the charge. And very soon after arriving, Boniface seems to have impressed the emperor, who is now Focus instead of Maurice, because Maurice ended up dying in a coup. And soon enough... Boniface has focuses favor and an opportunity to actually press for influence and solutions. So already he's much more successful than either Gregory or Sabinian had been as
1: an apocrisary. Being better than Gregory at something? That's not a thing. Well,
0: the church doesn't think so, but Boniface was doing a great job. And this new esteem with the emperor came at a perfect time Because now Gregory suddenly needed Boniface to appeal to the emperor in a very unusual case. And this is the case of Bishop Alsazan of Corcyra, which is modern-day Corfu in Greece. So, Bishop Alsazan had essentially had his bishopric usurped from out underneath him by another bishop called John of Uria from Epirus. So this is what happened. Everest had come under attack by the Slavs and the Avars, and in the chaos, Bishop John of Uria had fled to safety, and so Bishop Alsazan had welcomed him in Corcyra, and John was content to stay there, and he decided to repay the hospitality in the worst possible way by deciding he simply wasn't just okay serving under the bishop who took him in, and that he should be the bishop instead. So he gets to some scheming and some political machinations, and through this, he takes over an area called Cassiope, which had been the jurisdiction of Alcison. Now, as we know, the church would have already heavily objected to this, even if there wasn't a weird usurpation going on. Because canon law has made it very clear, as we have seen in the past, that no bishop can assume another bishopric other than the one that they've been originally consecrated to. So this is not good. And Pope Gregory is absolutely against John's assumption of Cassiope. But there's a problem with all of this because the emperor seems to have some sort of close relationship with John, the usurping bishop, and was definitely more inclined to let things slide, or at least not interfere with the matter, even when Bishop Alcazon appeals to the pope. So Gregory goes, this is a job for my hypocrisy; He's there, and so now Boniface is being charged to bring about intervening with the emperor and having him come to the right choice and we're not entirely sure how he did it no no we don't know the sources are incredibly brief on this period
1: Ah, uh, they're brief they're not lost they're just brief they didn't think we would care because it's not gregory
0: why would we care <laughs> i care Well, we care, and that's why we're bringing it to light. But even we don't quite know. But it is said that somehow Boniface actually manages to reconcile John, the usurper bishop, restore Alcazon, the original bishop, and all while maintaining the esteem he'd built with the emperor. Like, really, the sources here are so scant. And any light source, like an internet article that writes about this, Doesn't cite their source, and they're the articles that had the Roman extraction bit, so.
1: Oh, so, okay. They don't know anything for real.
0: Yeah. All the Dictionary of Christian Biography has to say is that Gregory the Great forbade the assumption in spite of the consent of the Emperor, which has no mention that Boniface is the prime mover and shaker in the whole operation. So, alas, I can give you no more. But what we do know, is that this cemented Boniface's reputation as a capable apocrisarium. And so when Gregory died and Sabinian became the next pope, Boniface just stayed on in Constantinople because he's already proved that he could do the job, and he could do the job well. And I mean, Sabinian has a lot of other things on his hands, so he's just going to leave him there. He was actually still in Constantinople when Sabinian died, killed by a ghost, and he was elected to be the next pope. So he just gets word, oh, by the way, you need to come back to Rome because you're pope now. They're just like, hey, you know that awesome Apocrysary is actually getting things done? Let's have him instead of the dude who wanted to charge for all the grain. And he actually won't return for almost a year after the elections. And, again, the reasons for this are somewhat unclear. Some sources speculate that he didn't return immediately so that he could finish whatever work he was doing in Constantinople in that given moment. But others think this has more to do with the tension in Rome following Sabinian's papacy. Like, Everything else in this episode, we only have general statements and no specifics, but it seems that there was an ongoing divide in Rome between those who wanted to go back to the policies of Pope Gregory, you know, free doling out of grain and corn and using all of the church's money to do that, and those who didn't because of the devastating effect it was having on the church coffers which, remember, was pretty much the only source of support for the whole city of Rome at this point. There's also some mention that it's possible that Boniface felt that his election hadn't been a free and fair election, and refused to come to Rome to take up the papacy until he was sure that his election had been legitimate. But my guess is this is pure speculation based on what he does when he finally gets to Rome. I don't put a lot of stock in that. But he does eventually get to Rome and was consecrated as Pope on February 19th of 607. Also, just as a side note, because he'd been in Constantinople the whole time and was on good terms with the emperor, they didn't have to now wait for the emperor to give his approval. It just came with Boniface on his way. And through Boniface's papacy, there are two major things that he accomplished that we need to talk about. And the first is the reason for that speculation that he might have been suspicious of his own papal election, because very, very soon after being consecrated as pope, Boniface passes a decree that forbade anyone, whether a cleric or a layman, to discuss or make plans for any papal successor, before a pope had died. Anyone who was found to be doing this would be excommunicated. Now, this is not entirely new legislation, since we saw Pope Symmachus pass something similar after the debacle of the Laurentian anti-papacy. This is the one that gets stuck and becomes a lasting legislation for the time. He also went one step further and created a moratorium in total on anything to do with a papal election until three days after the burial of the previous pope. Apparently he thought that this was somehow going to stop the negotiations that might have taken place with the bishops that would have an impact on the outcome of election. But to me, it just seems like you've given them three more days to plot. Yeah. You know, so I'm not entirely sure what his logic was there other than, you know, bury the Pope with all due respect before you start scheming? Give him his due, then be... Yeah, it's kind of that give, the the body's not even cold yet kind of thing. But either way, Boniface passed these two regulations on papal elections in a Roman council of 72 bishops and... Pretty much everybody of the Roman clergy, so that no one could claim ignorance of what these new legislations were. And unfortunately, we don't have the acts of this council because they're shrouded in medievality. So oh boy! Any time to get a chance to say "shrouded in medievality! Your made-up word, it is a made-up word. I don't like the phrasing "middle Ages. Uh, but you can't say there isn't like when you say renaissance it's like the renaissance period or a renaissance pope you can say a medieval pope there's no like describing word for medieval in the same way you can't the medieval it somehow so medievality (laughs) here it goes i just
1: don't like middle ages
0: So the other thing that Boniface managed to achieve is something that would have made his predecessors so proud and reflected just how useful his positive relationship with the emperor was for the church. He did something that neither Pelagius II nor Gregory nor Sabinian had been able to do. What's that? He convinced the emperor to put an end to the Bishop of Constantinople using the title Ecumenical Patriarch. Remember they were fighting about this?
1: Mm-hmm, yep. It's just so
0: much all the time. It is a lot of fluff, but they were like, you can't use it because that suggests you're on par with Rome. So he has gotten the emperor to agree not to let the Bishop of Constantinople use that. And not only that, he persuaded Emperor Focus to issue a renewed decree which would reconfirm the decree passed by Justinian, stating that, quote, The See of Blessed Peter the Apostle should be the head of all churches. And therefore, the title of Ecumenical Patriarch, or Universal Bishop, was for the exclusive use of the Bishop of Rome. This is a huge success for Boniface. I mean, it certainly helped that the current Bishop of Constantinople Syriacus really didn't like Emperor Focus, and the two were constantly at odds with one another, so Focus probably didn't really feel bad about taking this title away from him. But still, the head of the Eastern Empire is confirming and professing that Rome is above Constantinople in the church. Yeah, that's important. Papal primacy. Here it is. There's a hand
1: gesture happening, because that's a big one. You're gonna have to be more specific (laughs) as to what your hand is doing.
0: It's it's more of a single flail, and then the other one's single flails, so it's papal, primacy, a flail, and a flail. (laughs) Ah, yes. So many flails. This is really big. This is really excellent for this moment in time, recognizing that the Pope is the head of the church everywhere. And then Boniface does something else. So what's that, then? (laughs) You sound so
1: suspicious. Seems like he's doing an awful lot. He did good. And then he died.
0: Oh, all right. That's (laughs) his final thing. Yeah. It is all of our final things, I think. So anyways, he dies on November 12th of 607, likely from old age, which gives us the indication that that born around 570 probably wasn't as accurate, but those numbers are both out there. So there you go. He was buried in St. Peter's and his tomb was destroyed in the renovation from old Peter's to new Peter's. And fortunately, we still have a record of his epitaph, which says, a soldier of the apostolic See from youth, "'Afterward, holy bishop for the whole world, "'the blessed remains of the old man Boniface "'are here enclosed, certain of an advent in God's glory. "'The humble pastor of his sheep sorted them out, "'restoring these troubled by the enemy "'and the failing to the flock. "'He abated his anger at the prayers of the humble in heart, "'subduing all deceits with his simplicity. "'He took action, lest a barren year should consume Rome,' driving away famine now by prayer, now by his compassion. There is no one who does not know, Holy Father, that you are with Christ and approve a splendid life with you. And, uh, that is Boniface. And now, it's time to rate him.
1: Papatum and fallium I mean, you just said it seems like he's doing a lot, so... I mean, look, they're not, like... F- Fancy things. But he did get papal primacy up there. He kicked it up the. I don't.
0: The scoreboard?
1: No, I don't think that's the sports term. The field? Do you kick it up the field? Yeah, that's what you do. I don't know how to sports.
0: Unless you're playing rugby, because it goes backwards? Sports ball!
1: (laughs) So do you kick that one down the field? I don't know. Sports ball!
0: We're going to get messages about, about sports. sports. And someone's
1: going to explain this to us and we're going to be like, huh," mm-hmm, and it'll still not make any sense. In case you are wondering, we're not in sports fandom and we do not feel like being in sports
0: fandom. No, usually when people ask me what sports I like, I just yell sports ball at them and they get the idea. Papagemanfallium. Yes, papal privacy. He ended the use of the title Ecumenical Patriarch by the Bishop of Constantinople. He had a decree from the emperor stating that the Apostolic See was the head of all the churches. He enacted new regulations for papal elections with the goal of making these elections free, fair, and without backroom dealings. It's definitely good.
1: I'm leaning in the upper Range, So like a
0: 6 or a 7? Yeah, I was feeling kind of a 6. And and I do want to point out, without doing the score now, that he's Pope for a very short period of time. So he did all of this in a very short period of time. So it is very impressive. So that might bump me up to a 7. All right, let's mm, let's both do 7. So we will give him a 7 and a 7. Giving him 14. He
1: was getting done. He was getting done in a very short period of time after Sabinian. Mm, yeah, that man was bad. Yeah. He turned it around. Fructus prohibitum.
0: Nothing. Because the sources are not there.
1: But. It would have been so good for you to be like, and he turned it around for this terrible thing. That might be for his successor. Ooh.
0: We'll have to find out. Tune in next week. Seculari impactum. His relationship with the emperor allowed him to be a way more successful apocrisary, and got him to achieve something that three other popes had tried to do and failed. So, that is a good secular impact. He has a decree from the emperor emphasizing the primacy of Rome. That is a good secular impact. It's worth, like, a four.
1: Okay, um, I don't know, yeah, okay, I'm probably, I was leaning more towards, like, a three. He will get a seven
0: in seculari impactum.
1: Fossium sanctus.
0: Now, let's see if he has that beautiful face you wanted him to have. <laughs> Spoiler, no I don't know he really looks soft it, to me, he looks like shaggy and disheveled, like a man who just walked in after working for like six hours in the rain and just really wants some hot soup, no, like a like a gamer
1: guy who got like a new release and then forgot to take care of himself for six days and comes out of
0: his dark computer room he does have that thousand yard stare for sure he definitely mm, his features are a little bit more exotic like he does look more eastern which we don't generally see in all these old white men (laughs) yeah you're right he's got some really like pronounced brows his nose is it's either the pixels there are really wiggly and broken i feel like
1: someone tried to fix the crack in the world again yeah definitely but it was directly over all the important parts of his nose or at least the like shape of it because he's got like a it starts and it's like a, a pronounced and then it gets to like where the nose part is and then it goes all fucky
0: i like it though i i feel like he has kind of a there is an actor in thinking, have you watched the show Superstore? I
1: haven't watched Superstore yet, no. You keep telling me to, and I'm like, hey, maybe I'll do that. And then I get distracted.
0: It's such a, like, a trash show. It's basically the American version of Trolley. Like, pulls off the same gag or anything. But there is a guy in it who's playing, like... A guy who came to work at the grocery store, but he's a Syrian refugee. And he looks like this guy so much. And he plays a character called Saeed, and this is who he looks like. We're going on a journey. Yeah, we're going on a journey. He looks like this man. Hold on, I have a side one even. This is the man that I see, definitely, when I look at that guy.
1: Okay, yeah, that's true. Less sunken eyes, but...
0: I guess a younger version of this man. Yeah, definitely. It's Saeed from Superstore. The actor's name is Amir M. Karangi. So look him up. That's who this dude looks like. I like it. He has a friendly face and I like that character. So he's going to score well for me. I'm going to give him like seven.
1: Seven? Golly. I'm giving him a four. So an 11
0: divided by four, he gets a 2.75. Tempest pontificus february 19th 607 to november 12th 607 nine months he could have had a whole baby
1: (laughs) instead he got papal primacy congrats
0: it's papal primacy yeah i mean i guess what you want more depends on who you are so (laughs) that gives him a score of 0.1875 You get all of our dynasty score with all of your children's, and I will
1: take the papal primacy. Oh yeah, the dynasty score. I have three whole children. Do dogs count? Do dogs count for the dynasty? Well, they should,
0: but they don't.
1: You can pass your estate on to the puppos.
0: I mean, just, just because of you, we have a good dynasty score together, so it's not too bad.
1: If you haven't listened to Rex Factor, what are you doing? They're just going to be so confused all the time. It doesn't matter. It does. We talk about our D&D campaigns, and they don't know what we're talking about half the time. I'm sorry, listeners. We live a full and varied lifestyle. <laughs> Hashtag sorry, not sorry from Brian.
0: <laughs> There's diversity in our lives.
1: All right everybody, it's the canon bonus round. Do, 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 do. He's
0: probably not a saint, but he is listed as one on Wikipedia. Oh, so then
1: he's listed as one in 12 other
0: sources. <laughs> no, even those sources that ripped off the Wikipedia don't have it. Cuz generally if you go I go to the Wikipedia page to get these images sometimes, and, and it'll say, they just have it listed above the image. It'll either say Pope, or it'll say Pope Saint. And it said Pope Saint, but there was no feast day, there's no nothing. I All of my research indicates he's probably not a saint, and so we'll put that up by mistake. He does not appear on any list of canonized popes, or any list of saints, so he does not get the point.
1: I guess someone needs to fix that Wikipedia page. You need to change it from being extricated from Rome, <laughs> Roman extraction. You need, you need to change that bit, that weird bit that makes no sense. And then you need to cut the saint bit off.
0: Yeah, exactly. So that brings us to his final score, which is a respectable 23.9375. Yeah, okay. That's not awful at all. That's real good, and I want to remind you that Sabinian scored a 5.375, and most of that was for being a dick. Then I have a question for you. Our first pope that we are recording in 2020, is he papally enough and pizzazzy enough for a papable?
1: Well, he's definitely papally enough, but he's not, he doesn't give that, he doesn't have a zip, he doesn't have that garlicly bite to him. Our popes taste like garlic now?
0: <laughs> I mean, they are Italian for the most part, so we could go with that.
1: An artichoke flavor? What flavor do we want? I don't know. Pesto? That's just garlic again. It's Italy. It's going to be basil and tomato. That doesn't have a real zip to it either. No,
0: it doesn't. That's real earthy. But I agree. He is papaly enough, but not pizzazzy enough. And his impact... This papal primacy thing is a really big deal, but we're going to need more of it before we start talking about popes being infallible and the heads of the world and those kind of things. So I will agree that it is not for him, but I like him. So there's that. But we are not finished, because it's time for a Pope Watch. because of course it is. I mean, we cannot not talk about this, okay? Are we talking about him slapping? Slapping a... Pope slap. Pope slap. slap. Yeah, we are talking about it. A lot of the sources that have reported on this have all talked about just the slap. So I, I just wanted to do this a little differently. So on New Year's Eve, while greeting visitors to the Vatican, Pope Francis was grabbed by the hand and yanked by a woman over to her. And when she wouldn't let go, Pope Francis slapped her hand. Yeah. Everyone always just says, Pope Francis slapped the hand of a woman, you know, like, no, no.
1: Like he jumped across the aisle and slapped her hand.
0: (laughs) And, and... To be fair, most of the sources that I have read and most of the comments that I've seen online, 99% of people are on Francis' side here, and really, we'll we'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, in this moment, which is captured on film, you can see it, the woman clearly hurt Pope Francis when she grabbed him and yanked his hand at a real bad angle, which... Apparently is also the hand that he allegedly broke not too long ago, but I can't find any credible news sources of that injury. So everyone's talking about him having broken his hand. I can't find that. But we're mentioning it. He's clearly visibly upset by her actions and tries to like shake her hand off a couple times before he slaps her. Yeah, it is, it is an
1: amazing, I don't know, it's probably about six seconds where he, where he like, He originally turns and sort of is still smiling, and Mm -hmm. then gets pulled towards her, and then his face just switches.
0: He goes, ow! Nevertheless, the next day, Pope Francis issued an apology during his New Year's Day address, calling his actions a poor example, saying, many times we lose patience. Me too. I say excuse me for the bad example. And then he went on to denounce violence against women, saying, Women are sources of life, yet they are continually insulted, beaten, raped, forced to prostitute themselves, and suppress the life they bear in the womb. Every form of violence inflicted upon a woman is a blasphemy against God, who was born of a woman. So, going through this! Going through this as a thing that happened, first of all, I have no problem saying, in my personal opinion, he had every right to slap her hand. And if anybody grabbed me that way,
1: (laughs) I mean, it probably would have been a lot worse. I'm glad he just, like, he slapped her hand, because I would have been, no, it would have been punches to the
0: face. Exactly. So, I also want to say that this is a man who, even though he was in the right, It was a controversial moment, and the first thing he did was stand up and apologize and say, yeah, I made a bad example, so good on you, Pope Francis. There's a lot of article headlines out there right now, like, generally as a society, we are bad at apologizing, and Pope Francis shows us how. So, even if I think he did not need to apologize and probably shouldn't have apologized, he did. So, good on you. The other thing is people are correlating this moment quite a lot to earlier in the year where there was that that video that came out where Pope Francis is pulling his hand away from a line of pilgrims who are all trying to kiss his ring. And people were like, "Oh, Pope Francis, he doesn't get what this tradition's about. And Uh, oh, what, a, what a high and mighty dude. When it was precisely the opposite. One, he said he was doing it for hygiene reasons because a lot of people were sick. He didn't want to spread sickness. But also, he's not very comfortable with the whole kneel and kiss my ring thing. So that's not his jam. And I'm going to end this Pope Watch with a couple other instances as to why this moment is important. Because in 2016, a woman pulled on Pope Francis's arms in Mexico so hard, made him stumble over someone who was in a wheelchair. In 2009, a woman jumped over a barrier and knocked down Pope Benedict XVI, knocking him to the ground. And upon investigation, it turned out that this woman had tried to do the same thing prior. And of course, in 1981, there was an attempted assassination attempt on Pope John Paul II in St. Peter's Square, where he was shot four times. So, maybe the pontiff can defend his personal space a little bit. Yeah when it was first sent to me because you lovely, lovely listeners sent it right away as soon as this happened. And I just laughed. I just was like, wow, this woman completely deserves this and I feel not bad about it at all. To wrap up our show, we have some thank yous to make and the first is a patron who needs to be absolved of his temporal punishments and we thank Andrew Durnford. Ego te absolvo. We also want to thank Totalis Rancium, and Rex Factor for being our constant sources of inspiration and support, and Badger State, a Wisconsin history podcast, for plugging us. Thank you very much. And I also want to finish really quickly by sending our love and well wishes to Drew Varenkamp of the Wonders of the World History Podcast. He put out a message the other day about his current health challenges which we are aware of, but they are continuing. And we just want to see you get better and enjoy the rest of the year. So well wishes to you, Drew. So with that, we will say thank you and goodbye. Bye.